Well, we wanted to start this weekend with a very encouraging, uplifting song. <laughs> Hope it worked. <laughs> want to welcome you to Northridge Church, all of you who are here, guests and regular attenders alike, and for our regional campuses. We're so glad to have you, Northridge Brighton, Northridge Grosseal, Northridge Saline. It's great to have you with us, and as well, anyone who's watching online. And a lot of people come in and, you know... I grew up in religious experiences where the pictures that were painted in the context of those religious settings didn't match up with an honest and real look at the world in which I lived in. And when, when you walk into a spiritual environment and it's like they're creating a false view of reality, it's very tough to believe them when they're talking about things like God and truth. And so here at Northridge, we always want to be honest about the reality we experience. And so that song couldn't be more honest than communicating what most of us experience with love. Because from experience, most of us, not all of us, but most of us have learned that more often than not, the love we dream about and the love we long for is often nothing more than a fairy tale. I mean, even when we think we find it, it, it doesn't last. Even when we're in the midst of what's supposed to be this love-fulfilling relationship, we, we find that our investment of love isn't often reciprocated. The investment comes back empty. And, and in the end, many of us, if we're honest, if we're taking a real look at how we experience love in this world, if we're honest, in the end, we just often get burnt really badly. And so this beautiful and haunting and artistic presentation that says love is a losing game. I think many of us can relate to it. And if we're honest, 
the reasons are pretty obvious, aren't they? Love is about two people, you know? I mean, not just one. It's, it's, it's about two people reciprocating each other's love. And, and we human beings have a problem. We're flawed. And so when it comes to this, this dream of love and the fulfillment of the love that we long for, and even when we think we find it, we're, we're, we're looking for it from a person who is flawed, and they're looking to us for it, and we're flawed. And so we fail each other. Our promise of love tends to be bigger than our delivery of love. And so over time, we tend to start holding back. We tend to resist love offered from others. And we do that to protect ourselves from one more disappointment, from one more painful experience. We, we ourselves start holding back the offer of love to others because from experience we've learned that no matter how much we sacrifice and how much we invest, we won't get a full return on our, on our investment. In fact, we've discovered that some people are willing to take and take and take and they never contribute whatsoever. And it's not that we stop longing for love or dreaming about love because the way we're shaped inside demands that we need it, but, but we start resisting it to avoid the pain. And so we never get to experience the love that we desperately long for. Now, I know this isn't everyone's experience. I mean, most people can listen to a song like that and listen to words like this and, and kind of nod and go, yeah, that's, that's true. Love is a losing game. But, but always in a community of people like this, a gathering like this, there are some people thinking, ah, that's not me. I mean, I know some of us actually have experienced great love stories. But I, I need to remind you because if you're not depressed enough already, I need to take you further. Um, <laughs> I need to remind you that even the best of love stories end, right? The people we love and those who love us don't live forever. And so we lose them. And so from a human perspective, this song still holds true. And it's impossible to spiritualize it away and hype it away. Love is a losing game from a human perspective. All right. With that as the reality, we have to then say, but there is good news. It is absolutely true that in this world, more likely than not, because we're all flawed and we all fail, that we're all going to experience love as a losing game. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, far from it, because... Jesus came, and in his coming, he has changed the game. Because unlike us, Jesus isn't flawed, and unlike us, Jesus never fails, and unlike us, he delivers on his promise when it comes to love. You see, in Jesus, love is not a losing game. I need to say it again. In Jesus, love is not a losing game. In Jesus, love has been fulfilled. It can be experienced. It will always be rewarded, and it will never, ever end. With Jesus' love, it's eternal. And so, if we're really going to wake up to Jesus, which is what our mission is all about, we're in a series called 2016 Words, because Northridge defines the experiences that we can have according to Jesus in 16 words, and the mission we should have in 16 words. We're supposed to wake up to Jesus, experience his love, know his truth, get involved in his kingdom, be his child, experience his promises, and then we're supposed to wake the world up to Jesus, show them his love, tell them his truth, and get them involved in experiencing God in their life and their journey. And if we're going to actually do this, if we're going to wake up to Jesus, and if we're going to wake the world up to Jesus, then we have to wake up to love. Not the love that we've experienced, not the love as we've painted, not the love as, as our fellow human beings sing about it and write about it and make movies about it. Love is a losing game, but we have to wake up to love 
not as we've made it, but as God made it. We have to wake up to love, not as we deliver it, but as God delivers it, because it's in experiencing his love that we can find life and fullness, the life and fullness that we're looking for. And so I thought that what we should do is break this down so we can see it, and, and maybe we can actually experience it in our lives. You need to know that Jesus was defined by love. Jesus was defined by love. I mean, it, it defines his whole journey. He's a lot of things, but it all boils down to love. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, the religious crowd, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And just understand, this was the world they lived in. Quite frankly, it's the world we live in. Religious people want nothing to do with irreligious people. Religious people want nothing to do with the people they think are lesser than them and worse than them and not living up to their standards. So, so they're saying, if Jesus is so holy, if Jesus is so good, if Jesus is God, why in the world does he sit around and party and eat with tax collectors and sinners? And tax collectors in that day were just known as extortionists. They would steal people blind, kind of like, I don't know, the IRS. But uh, that's just a thought. Just a thought. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, because it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. See, religious people act like, I'm not sick. I don't have any problems. I, I'm better than these other people. They don't belong in environments I'm at. And so they're saying, why, why would this Jesus sit around with these bad people when he could be with good people like us? And the first thing Jesus says is, it's not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. So why wouldn't I, if I really have the cure, if I really can offer freedom from guilt and shame, if I can really offer forgiveness and hope in the midst of despair, if I can really do that, why would I sit around with the people who already have it? Wouldn't I go to the people who don't have it? Of course I would if I loved. That's what he's saying. It's the, it's the sick who need a doctor. But then, but then he says, so go learn what this means, Jesus says. I desire love. And he's speaking. He's God. He said, I desire love, grace, compassion, mercy. That's what I desire, not sacrifice. I don't desire your misery because you keep saying no to everything and everyone. I desire love. For I have not come to call the righteous, those people who think they're perfect, but I have come for sinners. He's saying, I, I haven't come to call the righteous. There aren't any. I've come to call sinners, and it's only the sinners who will understand my love. Jesus was defined by love. It was clear. Religion isn't often defined by love. Those who claim to know God aren't often defined by love. In this world, love, in all settings, tends to be a losing game. But Jesus wasn't like the world. Jesus was defined by love. And this is good news, because in a world where we long for it and don't find it, we need to know there's a place we can go for it. His name is Jesus, and it didn't end with his life. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, when we didn't know God, when we were absent from God because our sin had left him out of our lives, it's when we were powerless without God and hopeless that Jesus died for us, the ungodly. And then the honest thing is said, very rarely will anyone die for a good person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. You can probably find in history a couple of times that some person died for a good person. But, but the Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love for us, not in dying for the good person, not in dying for the person that returns his investment of love, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still hating him, while we were still rejecting him, while we were still his enemies, while we were still walking in evil, he died for us. Jesus was defined by love. You see, the wages of our sin is death, separation from God, separation from God's love. Jesus never sinned, so he never needed to be separated from God or his love, and yet Jesus is the one who died on the cross but he didn't die for himself, he died for us. 
And here's what you need to know. In a world where you will be consistently, consistently disappointed with love, and love will genuinely be, in this world, often a losing game, you need to know that Jesus is the one place you can go where it's not a losing game, it's a winning game. Because even when we were rejecting him, even when we disbelieved him, and even when we didn't want him, even when we sinned against him, he died in our place. And on that cross, he screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why have you separated your love from me? And it's a great comment because here's what you need to know. Jesus on the cross was separated from God's love. He who was the only one who deserved God's love was separated from God's love. And the reason was this. So all of us who deserve to be separated from God's love would never have to be separated from God's love again. The cross of Jesus Christ was the last time anyone had to suffer in life without God's love. And yet today, many don't experience love. Why? Because they still believe that love is a losing game, and they've yet to experience the love of God which is unconditional and always perfect and always available. You see, Jesus was defined by love. But it doesn't stop there, because yeah, Jesus was defined by love, but we can't experience it wrong. You need to know that not only was just Jesus defined by love, but when we experience that love, it makes it very clear in the Bible that he calls us to be defined by the same love. Jesus calls us to be defined by love if we're going to follow him, if we're going to know him. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And he says the second is just like it. They go together. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets, Jesus says, hangs on these two commandments. You can say, I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything right. I'm keeping all the commands of God. But if you're not loving God and loving your neighbor, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're not doing everything right. Love is what we need to be defined by. Love of God and then love of others. John 13, 34 and 35, he says it again. A new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. How did he love us? By investing his whole life and ultimately dying for us, even though we gave him no return. And so he says, that's how you must love one another. And then he says, by this, and this is really an odd turn, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you vote right, isn't that amazing? <laughs> and yet that's what all kinds of churches all over the world are preaching. If you vote right, you're right with God. If you don't vote right, you deserve the judgment of God. But that's not what Jesus said. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe if we really experience the love of Jesus and we really love others like Jesus does and is defining our life, it will affect how we vote. But let me just tell you something. People won't know us as followers of Jesus because of how we vote, Republican or Democrat. People won't know us as followers of Jesus because of how we kneel and stand during our services or the traditions we keep or how we dress or don't dress. People will know that we're followers of Jesus in only one way. If we demonstrate like he did in this world where love is a losing game, that love is not a losing game, that love wins. That's when people will know we're followers of Jesus. Jesus has called us to be defined by love. And yet this is the problem. I, I'm like you. I mean, I hear someone giving a talk like this, and I go, yeah, I, that's me. I'm that, man. I mean, I'm looking around at people like you, and I'm going, I must have love. Look at them. It's a joke, by the way. You know, but isn't it easy to interpret us with great leniency and if I was to come to you and say, you know, do you think you're pretty much defined by love, kind of like Jesus? Yeah. You know how we stretch truth. But so I thought it'd be good maybe to give a picture. What does it look like if we're really like Jesus, defined by love? No longer playing it as a losing game, no longer resisting it or holding it back, but investing ourselves fully in loving God and loving others in spite of what return we may or may not get. What would it look like? Well, Jesus gives us the story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible, the story of the Good Samaritan. 
And, and I'm going to read this story. It's really important. There was a guy who came to Jesus and, and he said, you know, what do I have to do to have eternal life, you know? I want to have the good stuff when I die. And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And the guy says, well, I, I think I have to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think I have to love others as myself. I mean, everything hangs on those things. And Jesus goes, awesome. That's right. Why don't you go do that? And then, see, the guy knew the truth, but he didn't want to live the truth, right? We're always trying to justify ourselves. You know what we want? We want to give a minimal investment for a maximum return. And so he was saying, okay, if I'm, okay I need to figure this out because I, I, I certainly want the eternal life thing. But this loving my neighbor thing really kind of concerns me. And so he said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because wouldn't it be great if that was defined in a way that made it easy? And so Jesus says, well, who's your neighbor? Let me tell you a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened by, coming down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He it doesn't say he was busy, he didn't see him. It doesn't say he had priorities. That he had. It says he, he saw the man, and he crossed the road. He passed by on the other side. He refused to have his plans and his priorities and his life disrupted in any way for any amount of time to help this dude out. Do you see that? He was a priest. This is a religious dude. He had just come from church singing, Jesus, how I love you. You've got to read deeply to find these truths. I'm just telling you. He, he was a priest, but he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, another really religious guy, devoted to religion, when he came to the place and saw this beat-up guy, broken and hurting, passed by on the other side, purposely, refused to have his life disrupted in any way, and went on. But a Samaritan, and this is important because, you see, he was talking to a, an expert of the law and he was talking to someone who cared about these things. The guy who asked the question would have liked the priest and would have liked the Levite, but would have hated the Samaritan. The Samaritan was considered to be someone totally ungodly. And so he says, so the priest and the Levite that, you know, you're, you're heroes, you have trading cards of, they walked by on the other side. But, but the Samaritan, the person that you've already decided belongs in hell, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he didn't cross to the other side. He took pity on him, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, remember... The Samaritan was busy too. It shows here. He, he had business to go to. He had plans that he kind of set aside for a minute. And then he actually paid the innkeeper to take care of this guy so he could go about his plans. And he said he'd come back and make up for it afterwards. And so the Samaritan disrupted everything to help this stranger. And then Jesus asked this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The guy wanted to say the priest, and the guy wanted to say the Levite because they were the heroes. The guy, in the worst way, didn't want to say the Samaritan because he had already disparaged the Samaritan, but there was no way that he could answer anything but the Samaritan was the neighbor. You see, Jesus was defined by this kind of love. He had plans, he had priorities. And yet he allowed his life to be disrupted in order to show love to these people and ultimately lost his life. And then he's called us to do the same. What does it look like? Here's what it looks like. We allow ourselves to be disrupted and inconvenienced in order to show love to hurting people because this beat-up guy, left for half dead, is representative of almost everyone we will ever meet in this world. 
We're all broken. We're all experiencing pain. We've all hurt. We've all been left for half dead. All of us have experienced love as a losing game. Many of us put on a good image, but we are bankrupt and empty inside, and we need each other. But the problem is we don't invest in each other because we've learned that love is a losing proposition. But when we wake up to Jesus, the proposition changes, and love becomes a win and not a loss, and he's called us to be defined by love. Do we look like the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? It's when we look like the Samaritan that we're awake to Jesus. Let me ask you, are you awake? Are you awake? Here's the truth I want to get you this weekend so that you can process it. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. Now, it didn't used to be a choice. Before Jesus came and paid the price for our sin on that cross and was separated from God's love, so we never had to be separated from God's love, love was not a choice. All we had was the losing side of life, but then Jesus made it possible for us to know life and forgiveness and hope and love. He came to give us life and life to the full. Now we have a choice. Do we decide to keep living as if love's a losing game, taking, 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 or are we willing to choose Jesus and experiencing love as a true win? A lot of us have a hard time making the choice to love in this world because we've been hurt and that doesn't feel good and we've been disappointed and that doesn't feel good and and quite frankly, we don't have the internal fuzzies that make us want to love other people. I don't know about you, but when I wake up and I feel bad, I don't want to be nice to anyone. Is there anyone like, are you human beings? Okay. Most of us don't make love our choice because we don't feel like it. And I get that. And many of us are waiting for God to fill us with the warm fuzzy of his spirit so that we'll feel like loving others. But what you need to know is love is a choice, it's not a feeling. Jesus proves it. Look at Mark chapter 14, verses 35 and 36. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground. You need to know he's getting ready to be betrayed by Judas, to be tried in front of Pilate, to be beat to a lifeless piece of pulp by the Roman soldiers, nailed to a cross, spat on and rejected. And then he's getting ready to die. And he's praying just before this happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. God, I know that you want me to die and suffer in their place. You want me to make the choice to love them enough to sacrifice myself for them. But if it's possible, could you let this pass? And then he says, Abba, Father, it's as endearing a thing as you can say. It's kind of like, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Everything's possible for you. You have the power to take this away. You have the power to remove this. Take this cup from me. By the way, I've had this kind of prayer life before. God, you have the power to take this away. You have the power to change this. You have the power to take that person out. You have the power. But then Jesus said something that shows us his life was defined by love. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I don't feel like this, God, but love's a choice. And so I choose what you want. And that's how we change the world. Our world around us isn't changing because most of us aren't making that choice. And it makes sense from a human perspective. Love's a losing game in this world, but... When we really wake up to Jesus and when we really experience Jesus, love is not a losing game. Love's the win. It's a choice. What choice are you making? I just want to weave this into your life and then I'm going to kind of, uh, kind of share a story at the end that I hope will really help put it into clarity for you. If The application's simple. If we're going to wake up to Jesus, if we're really going to wake up to Jesus so that the world no longer tells our story, but Jesus shapes our story. If we're going to wake up to Jesus and experience his love, if we're going to wake the world up to Jesus and help them experience his love, then, then we have to make two choices. Because love is a choice. 
And when we wake up to Jesus, these two choices are absolutely essential. The first choice is this. If we're going to really wake up to Jesus and wake the world up to Jesus, then we have to make the choice to know his love. We have to make the choice to know his love. We, we have to choose to know his love. Without it, we'll never love. Look at 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Until you choose to experience the love and forgiveness and grace of Jesus, there's only one kind of love you will ever experience, and it's the kind of love that disappoints. It's the kind of love that betrays. It's the kind of love that daggers you in the back, and it's the kind of love that keeps you on the losing side. And that's where most people are, even most of us, if we're honest. But when you choose to know his love, you all of a sudden experience someone who doesn't break promises, but someone who keeps them, someone who actually expands our life, not diminishes it, someone who wants what's best for us, not something from us, him. But we have to make the choice to know his love, because when we do, then we can love others. And this is why John 3.16 is the most popular verse in the world, so often quoted, but so little really understood or experienced. In a world where most of us think that love is a losing game, God so loved the world that he held nothing back, that he gave his son, his one and only, to die on the cross, to experience separation from God so we would never have to. And all we have to do is believe on him and we won't perish and live in death and emptiness, but we'll experience eternal life. And, and all we have to do is believe. You know what that is, right? It's a choice. I know we have lots of head games going on. I know we have lots of intellectual problems with these things. I know there are a lot of deals. I know we've been disappointed by one thing after another and we're worried that this could be again. But I'm telling you, in a world of disappointment, there's one place you can turn and you'll never be disappointed and his name is Jesus. You'll be disappointed. There'll be times you'll be disappointed with me. I won't know why. Because I'm perfect. Not. You'll be disappointed with this church or other churches. You'll be disappointed with the people closest to you. You'll be disappointed with all kinds of things. But I'm telling you, there's one place in this world where you can turn. You'll never be disappointed. And his name is Jesus. And, and I'm begging you. Make the choice to know his love. Because that's where life begins. And that's where life changes. We can start to love when we know his love. And so before I give you this one last application and share this story... I'm going to ask you to just bow with me in a moment of prayer, just for a moment. And for those of you at Northridge Brighton, I'm so glad you've joined us in Northridge Grosseal. I'm so glad Northridge Celine is also going on. For those of you watching online, if you just, all of you just collectively just honor this moment. And I believe someone right now desperately needs to know his love. You're haunted by the fact that love is a losing game. You long for love. You dream about it, but you haven't yet found it. Choose him now. I'm going to pray, and you can take my words and make them yours quietly to God. Just say, God, I believe you love me. I believe, Jesus, you died on that cross for my sin, that you were separated from God's love so I would never have to be, that you rose again to give me new life. And so in this moment, I'm giving you my sin and by faith choosing your love. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before I give you the last application thought, I, I just really want to encourage you, if you just prayed with me, please let us know. Not only will it be a huge encouragement to us and an answer to prayer, but we've put together a letter about next steps that you can take in your journey with God and we just need to know that you prayed with me. And so in the programs we've given you, if you're at any one of our campuses, is this connection card. Just check off the bottom, fill this thing out, and when you're leaving, there are boxes at every exit. Throw it in there, and we'll send you that letter and help you navigate some next steps. And if you're watching online, just hit the What Next button. We'll do the same for you. So if we're going to wake up to Jesus and wake the world up to Jesus, we have to make the choice to know his love. But then we have to make another choice. We have to make the choice to show his love, to show it. It's not enough to love God, we have to love our neighbor. Jesus made it clear. We can't be like the priest and Levite, we have to be like the Samaritan. We have to make the choice to show his love. Uh, in our 16 words, wake them up to Jesus, 
the very first kind of principle, value of life we teach is show them his love. The them means the people in our world, our friends, our family, the people in our marketplace, people we rub shoulders with in life. We have to make the choice to show his love. Let me show it from the Bible. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Whoever does not love, now listen, this is very strong. Whoever does not love does not know God. They might vote right, they might go to church, they might give, they might know all the traditions, they might know more about the Bible than anyone else, they might dress right, all that stuff. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because when you've experienced God's love, you can't help but show it. Because God is love. And, and then it, it proves it. It says then, this is how God, what's that word? Yeah, that was really poor. All right. Um, I'm sure at our regionals it went nuts there. I'm going to give you, I believe in helping you to be a winner. And so since you aren't yet, I'm going to give you this opportunity, all right? This is how God showed his love. Love is worthless unless it's shown. Love is worthless unless it's shown. God's love is only meaningful to us because he showed his love. And this is how he showed it. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Stop talking about it. Stop singing about it. Stop declaring it and start showing it. Stop being the priest and stop being the Levite and start being the Samaritan. Let's show his love. And love's a choice. And the reason we don't show it is because we choose not to, but we can start showing it, and all we have to do is choose to show it. Let's show his love. Whoever thinks that showing love is a loser's game doesn't know God because when you've experienced God, you know that love wins. And there's a picture that Jesus paints. And it's the story of the sheep and the goats. The story of the sheep and the goats. You can find it in Matthew chapter 25. And I'll set it up. Jesus, in the end, is going to separate all people. Some on his right, some on his left. Once on his right, sheep, those who are his children, those who know him, have experienced his love, and, and the goats, those who have never made the choice to know his love and experience his forgiveness, I mean, in the end. And, and he's going to be able to do it because their fruits, the fruit of their life, declares it. And he even says it. Look at Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, you know, the sheep, the people who have experienced his love, made the right choice, he's... He says, come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of this world. And, and this is how he shows that they had really known God's love. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. The priest was busy, so busy serving God that he missed God laying in the ditch. And the Levite was so busy serving God that he missed that God loved the person in the ditch. The Samaritan got it. The priest who served God, supposedly, was a goat. The Samaritan was the sheep. Because when you choose God's love, you can't help but choose to show his love. You don't love your life being disrupted. Jesus didn't love his life being disrupted. He prayed that God would take it from him. But he chose to do what God had asked him to do because he loved God that much and he loved others. The question is, what about us? What choice are we making to show his love in a world that's broken and hurting and in pain? It might be a neighbor. It might be someone further away. But what are you doing? And I thought this was where our, we could share a story. 
There's so much that's hidden in the lives of those who are a part of Northridge. There's so much hidden as it relates to what God's doing through Northridge, but I think this story captures it. We have a prison ministry here. Hundreds of people involved in this thing, helping prisoners out, showing love. They never get on the platform. They're not the celebrated ones, but they're showing his love. And, and there's this special ministry. We didn't create it. It's, it's supported under our prison ministry by volunteers and some people. But um, it was started by Prison Fellowship, started by some people in North Carolina. But it's, it's an unbelievable ministry of showing Jesus' love to where most people have no interest of showing love. And some of our people are involved. But you know what happens when people show love? People can't help but notice. And love that's a losing game is ordinary, but love that wins is so extraordinary that the whole world wants to know more about it. And that's why ABC Nightline did this story. <laughs> Eight-year-old Arkinia Graham has never met her father. They've grown close over the phone, but Johnny Trey Williams is serving 23 years in prison for second-degree murder. Today, she and nearly 30 other kids are getting a special visit with their dads, designed to prevent the kind of damage kids suffer when a parent is in prison. They are just some of the nearly three million children in this country with a mom or dad behind bars. Ethan Buckner is seven. Amaya Matthews is nine. She and her little brother live three hours away. So how excited are you to see your dad? Very excited. I can jump super high, and I'm so excited. You're so excited, I know. My dad told me that She's here. Do you want to meet her? Amaya has visited before, oh, but today is different. Arkenia, I want you to meet Amaya. She heard about you. Meeting your dad behind bars is a really big deal. Why is it a big deal? Like, this is the one time you can, like, sit in his lap, let him hug you. The day before the kids arrive, the dads get a seminar on fatherhood. That's where we meet Amaya's father. What's it like waiting six months to see your kids? Jeremiah Matthews has been in and out of jail for 12 years for burglary. I just get scared that they're going to forget. I know my daughter forgives me, but, you know, she told me that this is your last time, Dad. She's like, I love you, but you keep breaking promises. You're getting in trouble. And she was seven when she told me this. And I just, I don't want to disappoint him. You've seen, said mean things to him. What kind of things have you said? Like, I, I'm not going to trust you no more because you promised me that, I would, that you would be there for me for the rest of my life. And let me go back to jail. And so what did he say when you said that? He just was like, okay, then please gain that trust back. As soon as I get home, I'll try to make everything different and all. Do you believe him? Eh. You want to? Yeah, I but, want to. But it's hard to. He's lied to me. What you want to do when you look your child in the eyes? Arkenia's dad is learning a lot about fatherhood and forgiveness as well. I'm here for you and always will be, no matter what. He split before she was born, wound up killing a man in a bar fight. And though they talk a lot on the phone, he's still anxious about meeting her face to face. What, do you, what are you feeling? Anticipation. I try to hold my hand, nothing. I'm shaking. As nervous as any father getting to hold his daughter for the very first time. She brought something for you, too. That's Hello, da Daddy. I really wish when I come to see you that you could come home with me. I love you so much. I love you, too. Oh. <laughs> but this quiet moment is just a preview of what will be a very special day. <laughs> okay. The next morning, as excitement builds in this humble prison gym... Boys and girls, they're coming in just a minute. The dads are announced one by one. Ethan hasn't seen his dad in seven months. His pent-up emotions 
bubbling over. For Amaya, all her anguish and her doubt vanishes. I miss you guys. I love you. Arkenia doesn't hesitate. Her father, no longer just a voice on the phone. Jeremiah says he's working hard to stay out of trouble behind bars to earn this day with his kids. Amen. There are 1,300 men in this prison. Only 20 of them are here today. I know this is a special event. The program called One Day with God was founded by Scotty Barnes. The importance of these boys and girls having relationships with their mothers and fathers. She tells us her dad was a convicted drug dealer, spending most of her childhood locked up. I never had a hug. I'd never even been told I love you by my dad. You know, a lot of people on the outside would say, well, these guys are convicted murderers mm -hmm. and, and, you know, felons. Mm -hmm. Why do they deserve this kind of perk? I think they forget that the children are the silent victims. The little children, by the time they're eight and nine years old, go out on the streets, and if they're, the gangs are, come on over and join my family. Jeremiah says it's giving him incentive so that the next time he's released in just 11 months, it'll be the last. Me either! It's okay, you're only gonna know it if you try. Throughout the day, it's clear the dads are trying to cram years of parenting into a couple of hours. The trick to cursive is staying on the same lines. One Day with God is in seven states, fueled by private donations. At a time when prison reentry programs are being cut, they're expanding to five other prisons in Michigan alone. They may be walking in circles in a crowded gym, but for these fathers and sons, it's an intimate moment without the bars between them. Children of offenders are six times more likely than their peers to end up in jail themselves. For the girls, there's a father-daughter dance. It hurts me to know that I hurt her. I mean, she's like, she's the most important female in my life. And I've lost so much time with her that I could never get back. And to know that they gotta go back home. And I can't pour it all in one day. There's no, there's no way. They have these few fleeting hours to say the things that need saying. much loaded in one day for the dads a pledge to strive to be better for the kids a precious dose of what they need most and for the rest of us a reminder of what it means to be a good dad and that the feeling of being embraced by your father can last forever for nightline i'm juju chang in muskegon michigan I tell you the truth, Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. If we're going to wake up to Jesus and wake the world up to Jesus, we need to make the choice to know his love, and then we need to make the choice to show his love. And there are a lot of different ways to do it. I mean, a ton, and uh, so many different ways. But 
I'm really proud of the people at Northridge who've chosen to invest in prison ministry, for those who have chosen to invest through prison fellowship and one day with God camps, those that introduced it to me. It's a couple. They were involved in teaching. You saw it on the video. Um, I want to introduce you to Jerry and Don via camera. They are investing in one day with God camps. And they made the right choice. It's not the only choice. One day with God camps is one choice, but they made the right choice to know Jesus' love and to show it to others. And, and we know it. We know the priest did wrong, and we know the Levite did wrong, and we know the Samaritan did right. It's obvious they're doing right. The question is, what choices are we making? Having met them, I have to tell you, they're not experiencing loss from the investments they're making in showing love. They're experiencing gain. They're they are joy-filled people. Uh, first time I remember seeing them in public way was, uh, or one of the first times was at our public baptism event. Not most of us went and we were normal. They made up shirts about, you know, wake up the world and baptism. And it's like, oh my gosh. I think they were bright blue shirts. They stuck out. You know, they are so excited about God's love that they want to show it every way they can. And it shows in their choices. And they've discovered something. In Jesus, love is not a losing game. We need to join them. Here, here's the action step I have for you. Make the right choice. You don't have to live in a world where love is a losing game. You can make the choice to know God's love, and you'll find out that in Jesus, love isn't a losing game. In Jesus, love is the only game worth playing. And when we do choose Jesus, in the end, Love wins. And so as you're getting ready to go, I just want to ask you this question. Before you look forward, look back. 